Hello, friends. It's Memorial Day weekend, and we here at New Life Church, we remember. We remember the women and the men who have served our country, who have gone to war, who have fought, and who have died on the battlefield. We remember the families who have sacrificed so much to send their loved ones overseas. This is Colorado Springs, and we live in a city with more military installations than any other city in the United States of America. So this hits home for us. This is real. And so this weekend, if you're remembering, we pray grace over you. We pray blessing over you for all of the military families who've lost loved ones. We are standing with you. We thank you for your love and for your sacrifice and for your service. And we pray that the comfort of the Holy Spirit would surround you this weekend as we all remember. And now let's worship the Lord together. Well, greetings, friends and people of God. Let's rise up together. For our call to worship today, I'm gonna to read from Psalm 147. This is the word of the Lord. It says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the instruments. This psalm beckons us to praise. It beckons us to worship today. This is our God. It highlights, it highlights the wide-ranging care that God has for His people, for His creation. He shows up. He comes up. He delights. He delights in entering into our situation and lifting us up like a river. He gravitates even to the lowest places because He hears our deepest cries. So let's rise up today, people of God. Let's rise up today and worship Him for His love is abundant. He is our great, great, great God. Come on! Let faith arise. Hey. We sing together our praise. Our praise awaits you with the dawn. Our souls awaits you and lift us on. to come. All right, open the gates. Come on. Open the gates and let your glory come down. Open our hearts. Open our hearts and let our worship pour out. Come on, open the gates. Open the gates and let your glory come down. Open our Your presence is all we need. Your presence is, here, is all we need. You break us with sounds of victory.
as we trust in you. Let's sing holy, lift our eyes and say, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and but you, Lord, my God and my all, nothing but you, to see you, to know you, there's no greater thing, so God, would you open our eyes to see your glory now, oh Lord, would you come in like a flood, would your presence explode in our homes, in our lives, all over the city, we sing stars bow low, stars bow low. Oh, the heavens made their boast. You are seated on the throne, so glorious. The earth and sea, the earth. And see, resting underneath your feet, sovereign, sovereign over everything, so glorious. We pray this with faith. Unveil my eyes. Unveil my eyes to see you, to be.
As we come to give to the Lord today, I want to tell you a story. This morning, Pastor Rion, our global ministries pastor, spoke on the phone with Pastor William, who lives in Lahore, Pakistan. And Pastor William has been over here several times. He's a friend. He's stayed with us. He's a man of God. He's got a wife and four daughters over there, and they're living on $300 a month, just grinding it out, serving Jesus, serving the poor, taking care of people. And so Pastor Rion spoke with Pastor William this morning, and he said, what's, what's the update? And he said, as you'll know over here, people live day to day. They, they work and they make money that day and hopefully they can eat that day. Well, with the COVID outbreak, businesses have shut down and these are people who've gone five, six, and sometimes seven days without eating anything. And they're getting desperate and they're selling their cell phones, which helps them, or hurts them from being able to work. They're selling their motorcycles or their vehicles just to try to get daily bread. And so he said that in this nation, there's a, they're a Christian minority, maybe two to 3% are Christians in that land. And, and people who are getting stockpiles of food are demanding conversions for food. They're, they're, they're saying, look, if you want food, you got to convert. But where Christians are getting food, Pastor William tells the story that Christians are, are giving it away with no conditions. They're giving it away for free. They're giving, a, giving it away because this is who Jesus Christ is. And people are converting to Christianity because they're seeing a different kind of love. They're seeing a different kind of generosity. They're, they're being provoked into the faith because of people who trust Jesus for their daily bread. And so what I want to tell you is that we, we just told Pastor William this morning that we're sending another payment, another, another distribution of money is coming because of your faithful tithes and offerings. We're able to help them out in this moment. We're going to help Pastor William and his family and their team over there so that the church can go on and keep serving the poor in their region of Lahore, Pakistan. But here's the threat in a time like this. The threat in a time like this is that we turn inward that we end up taking care of ourselves, that we end up looking out for number one while people on the fringes are hurting. And, and I'm just here to tell you that we are going to be a church that gives out. We are going to be a church that serves. We're gonna be a church that races to the edges of society, races to the four winds of the nations. And we're gonna give and we're gonna serve and we're gonna love. And we're gonna trust that as we do that, Jesus will take care of them and Jesus will take care of us. So today we give by faith. And we give with Pastor William and people like him in mind that we're going to pray right now to ask God to take care of them. So let's pray as we give. Lord, we lift up Pastor William and his wife Sarah and their four daughters today. We lift up their church there in Lahore. We lift up the, the region, really the slum that they live in, and we pray that the name of Jesus would break out in that place. We pray that people would be redeemed and saved. We pray that people would be called out of darkness and into marvelous light. We pray that you would set those who are on the fringes of society, those who are lonely, set them into family, bring them near. We pray, Jesus, that your name would be exalted in that land and people would come to the faith that the, that the church would rise in that nation in this moment. And so, Lord, we give today. And we ask that you would take these gifts and that you would bless them and that you'd break them and that you'd pass them out to feed the multitudes in that land and in the nations of the earth. We give today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. There's three ways you can give. You can give online at newlifechurch.org. You can text it into the information below or you can send in a check through snail mail, 11025 Voyager Parkway, 80921 Colorado Springs, Colorado. Let's continue to worship as we give.
Praise God. Psalm 147, like we started in the service. I just want to quote verse 5. Great is the Lord, abundant in power. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. He's holy above all things. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen and amen. Friends, prepare your hearts for the word of the Lord today. We're going to open the scriptures today. So lean in, press in. You know the drill. Grab your Bibles and grab your notebooks. Grace and peace. Happy Sunday morning to you, New Life East. Grateful to be able to share this space with you. We're in the book of James, as you know, so I'll give you a moment to open your Bibles to James chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start in verse 19. This is a beautiful bit of text that we're getting ready to wrestle with here. As you remember, recall from last week, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, He was the leader of the Jerusalem council. He was known for his piety and for his prayer for the way in which he exhausted himself to serve the needs of the poor. And he was also one of the most, as we've already made reference to, he was one of the most prominent leaders of the early church. And so he opens his letter here, James chapter 1, in verse 1, writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. And so James is writing, and this is also, as you might recall from last week, this is probably one of the earliest epistles or earliest writings that we have in the New Testament. So this here is a glimpse into what we might call radical Christianity or Christianity that springs very much from the root. And so we're seeing the ebb and the flow and the movement, the flux of the early communities here. And James as a pastor is speaking right into that moment. And of course, we believe that all of these texts of scripture, this great library of books that makes up the Bible, this all is encompassed by the very speech of God, the word of God, Jesus himself. And so Jesus here now is speaking to us. And so it'll be James chapter 1 and verse 19. This is an incredibly uh, relevant and germane text for our moment. I think that you're going to enjoy what the Lord has to say to us here and also be provoked by it. But before we get into the text of Scripture, can we just acknowledge the presence of God one more time this morning? Center ourselves in the goodness of God. Anchor ourselves in the grace of God the life of God. And as we're in the presence of God, we begin even here and now, as our hearts have already been elevated by the songs that we have sung, we let them be elevated one more time to you, to the word of God. We say, Jesus, the Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We thank you that you are the continual, ongoing, never exhausted, world-changing, humanity-saving speech of the living God. Oh, we need you. And so we pray word of God, Jesus the Lord. We ask that you would gather up this text of scripture. We pray that you would gather up the words of the preacher this morning. And we ask that you would deliver it all over to us as your own speech. We ask that you would batter all resistance in us. We ask that you would break down all rebellion in us. And we pray that we would find ourselves awakening anew in the very kingdom of God, the life of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do it, we pray this morning. Do it, we pray this morning. We ask that you would awaken hunger. We ask that you would awaken thirst. We ask that you would awaken desperation in our hearts to align ourselves more fully with your kingdom and with your glory. So spirit of the living God come and awaken us for just that. This morning I'm asking, O Lord, that the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, I didn't hear you. One more time. There it is. Amen. Okay. James chapter 1 and verse 19. James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Note to self, when the writers of the Bible say, take note, uh, we ought to take note. James is flagging something here. He's signaling our ears that he's got something important to say. Take note of this, he says. Uh, Everybody ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry 
because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And don't merely listen to the word, he says, and so deceive yourselves, but instead you need to put it into practice, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately he forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, that person will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious, he says, and yet don't keep a tight rein on that tongue of theirs. Well, they deceive themselves, James says, and their religion is worthless. It's empty, it's invalid, it's without content. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Back to verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, quick to listen, quick to have your ears perk up to what other people are saying, quick to turn your attention to what your neighbors and your family and your friends are communicating. Quick, he says, to listen but slow to speak, slow, slow, slow to speak. And just thereby, slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. In our day, we've almost totally reversed this formula we say everybody ought to be slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to express their outrage at the injustices that have been done in our world and what that person did that was not right. Slow to speak or slow to listen, quick to speak and quick to become angry. We've reversed the formula. We live in a culture right now of outrage where people are listening less than they've ever listened and they're much quicker to express their outrage, their anger, their vitriol at things that are wrong than they had ever been. We're in a culture of outrage and we were already living in that culture and the year began and we were heading into an election year. And so we're keyed up already, you know, about that party over there that's doing all the things that we don't want them to do and they're ruining the world. You know, we were ready with all of that. Anger was already burning just below the surface with, all, uh, with us. Or that party over there, the opposite party, They've been wrecking our world now for so long and they're taking the country away from us and I can't believe that they would do things like that. And so this anger was already kind of percolating among us. It was already boiling with us. And then COVID-19 happened, all right? If 2020 wasn't set to be an explosive year enough, a global pandemic descended upon us. And after we took a couple weeks to kind of get our bearings and figure out where we were, do you know what happens? We got angry. We got angry at the government because they're shutting us down and they're taking away our rights. And we're getting angry at those people that are not wearing masks because they're being a threat to everybody else. And so we're just so quick to do this. The anger simmers just below the surface. And if we're not angry with the government or with those people out there, maybe we're angry at ourselves. We're angry that we didn't do a better job at our work so that we could have climbed up higher on the ladder of success. And then maybe we wouldn't have gotten furloughed and been in the situation that we're in if we had just worked a little bit harder. And so we have this kind of simmering frustration and it's spilling over into our relationships with our family and our friends. We're forced now to work from home, so many of us. And the stuff that we thought that our kids did 12 weeks ago that was cute, we hate with a passion now, okay? And we're seething at it. There's anger boiling just beneath the surface and we're constantly on the verge of sort of breaking out in these outbursts that crush and that wound people and straight in to the heart of our penchant for outrage and all of the havoc that it wreaks in our world. Hey, James says to us, hey guys, tap, 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 tap the brakes, please. Tap the brakes, please. And he gives us a very specific reason for that. James 
chapter 1 and verse 20, look down. He says, this is the reason that you're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He says, because human anger, it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires, okay? The reason that we pop off in anger is because we perceive that there are things that are not right in our world. And so we erupt. And what we think is that our eruption of anger is going to fix the circumstance. It's going to fix the situation. It's going to fix the government out there. It's going to fix those non-mask wearing people out there. It's going to fix our children. It's going to fix our wife. It's going to fix our husband. And so we explode in anger because we think that it's going to fix something. And James is unequivocal with us. He minces no words. He says that those violent outbursts of anger do not produce the righteousness that God desires. When was the last time, think about it now for a second, that you got really angry at your children and popped off at them and you thought, yeah, that made my family better. When was the last time that you were angry about something that was happening in the public sphere and so you decided to jump on Facebook and you ranted like nobody's ever ranted before. How happy were you with that decision a day later when your whole day was wasted and angry confrontations on the internet? How often in your life have you been pleased <laughs> with yourself when you've given way to anger? It just doesn't happen. But see, we give way to it because we think that it's gonna produce something righteous. We think it's gonna produce something good. When you think about the scriptural record, there's so many examples of this recently as we've been studying the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy. You might remember Moses in the wilderness getting angry at the people of God and he struck the rock twice instead of speaking to it. What was the byproduct of that? God forbid him from entering the promised land or in the New Testament, one of the quintessential examples of this was Peter in the garden of Gethsemane Jesus, you remember Jesus is in his climactic hour and there are, are all kinds, there's this crowd there in the Sanhedrin and they're there to arrest him and Peter has a sword at his side and he decides to run up to the servant of the high priest and hack off his ear. What is Peter trying to do? He's trying to salvage the situation. He's trying to, with his human capacity, he's trying to put things back together again. And as that man's ear, his little piece of flesh falls to the ground, what does the Lord Christ do in the midst of the outburst of anger, the Lord Christ gets down on his knee and he picks up that piece of flesh and he touches the man's ear and he heals them, producing right then and there the very righteousness that God desires in peace and in love and in a gesture of healing and goodwill and not in anger. Our anger never produces the righteousness that God desires. This has been hard for me to learn my wife Mandy and I have been married for almost now 20 years. And we were, when we were first married, I'm telling you, I relished confrontation. I come from a family that regards conflict as a sort of contact sport. It's like recreation for us. And so when I was a kid, if there was any minor disagreement, everybody leapt to it and we kind of jumped on that thing and got it done. And there was, it was, there was a sense of sport. It was fun. We wanted to do it. And then I get married to this person who is more sane than I am. And we'd have some little disagreement and some little dispute would rise up and I'd go, oh, here's my moment, you know? And I'd crush the resistance in that moment and, or I thought I did anyway. And it never produced anything good. And it's taken years for me to realize that there is a better way. There's a better way. There's the way of the kingdom. There's the way of Jesus. The biggest mistakes that I have made in my life in relationships were mistakes I made because I gave way to anger. I got so frustrated with the way that things were going that I thought if I just exert myself inside this situation, that will fix everything. And it never fixes anything. What it leaves in its wake is a trail of tears and heartache and, and heartbreak. And so James says, listen, everybody take note of this. Be quick to listen slow to speak, slow to become angry. One of the great thinkers in the church, St. Basil the Great, was one of the guys that actually helped frame out the Nicene Creed, wrote about anger and he said this, that for whenever once reason has been pushed aside, the passion 
of anger, listen to this, it takes control of the soul for itself. It makes the human being entirely like a wild beast. It does not allow him even to be a human being since he no longer has the help of reason. Doesn't that resonate with you? Those times that you've given way to anger, what happens is your passion hijacks your ability to think rationally. For as mountain torrents rushing together towards the valley sweep away whatever is in their path, so the violent and ungovernable attacks of angry people likewise sweep through everything. Temper, he says, is a kind of short-lived insanity. And everything at hand becomes a weapon for the madness. See, brothers and sisters, we're called not to give way to anger because the anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. Instead, the scripture calls us to use our entire agency, okay? What's our agency? Our agency is all that we are and all that we have. Wherever the I is capable of exerting into the world, that's our agency. And the scripture calls us to use our entire agency, our tongues included, to bless and build up the world. You say, can I tear down the world sometimes? No. You say, well, come on, aren't there circumstances in which my anger is really justified? Listen, there might be situations in which your, which your anger is justified, but that anger cannot turn into a sword or it will kill. What the scripture calls us to do with our anger is to take it and to lift it up in the light of the Lord and to let him transform that anger into something more productive, to let him transform our anger into love for God and love for people. And if we'll offer our anger up to him, he will do that. Because our God is the God who brings life out of death. Our God is the God who turns graves into gardens. And if we'll take that desolation of anger and offer it up to the Lord, I promise that he'll move upon us. See, the thing that we have to keep in mind is that in the economy of God, relationships are primary it's not just about being right. It's not just about saying our peace. It's not just about telling the truth, but it's about winning our neighbor. One of the great desert fathers, Abba Anthony, so many years ago, 1600 or so years ago, said this, that our life and our death is with our neighbor, guys. And if we gain our brother, if we gain our sister, if we gain our wife, if we gain our husband, if we gain our children, if we gain our neighbors, if we gain our Democrat colleagues, or our Republican colleagues, if we gain our mask-wearing friends and our not mask-wearing friends, if we gain those people, Anthony minces no words. He says, we have gained God. But if we scandalize our brothers and sisters with our anger, we have sinned against Christ. See, we're called, friends, to use our agency to bless and to build up people to bless and to build up the world, to bless and to build up the church, we're called to use our agency to build relationships. Relationships are an icon of God in the world. God in himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what he majors in is relationships. It is the dream of God that the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be realized among us and how we treat one another and how we live with each other and how we are with each other. And the only way that happens is when we realize that our life and our death is with our neighbor. I was reminded this week as I was preparing this message of a story a friend of mine told me years ago. He was on staff at an Episcopal church and served on the vestry and on the staff. And there was one particularly contentious vestry meeting that took place as it happens in church. You know, nobody ever fights in church, right? And they're on there on this vestry meeting and going back and forth, contentious issue, people taking sides and pointing fingers and the whole thing is dissolving into this kind of chaos. And there was this old priest that served on the vestry. He wasn't the head of the church. He was just one of the priests on staff. His name was Art, Father Art. Art was in his 70s. He'd walked with Jesus most of his life. And in the middle of all this contention, they noticed that Father Art was not saying very much. And so they finally turned to him and they said, Father Art, tell us, what's your perspective here? What's your perspective here? Like, Art, what do you think about all of this? Art, would you pick a side here? And we've got lines drawn in the sand and there's anger congealed over here and anger congealed over here. And Art, would you please 
let us know where you stand on this issue. I said, well, what did Father Art say? And he said, this is what Father Art said. Art said, I'll tell you what I think about this. He said, I think that the Holy Spirit is always leading us to friendship. See, the Holy Spirit is not picking a side in our disputes. And the Holy Spirit is not baptizing our anger. You want to know where the Spirit of the living God is? The Spirit of the living God is in this soft place where relationships are being healed and the bonds between us are being knit back together again. And art found a way in the middle of the contention to stand not against one side or against the other, but to stand with the spirit of the living God in the healing of the world. And we cannot be this way. We cannot speak a word like that unless we tuck ourselves into the word of God himself who heals all things, Jesus the Lord. Look at what James says as we begin to head into communion. James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever gazes intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That word looks intently is such a fascinating word. It's the Greek word parakupto. Let me hear you say it. I'll give it one more try. There it is, parakupto. It's used twice in the New Testament outside of James. It's very interesting. Once it's used in the New Testament, in John 20, verses four and five, both of the disciples were running. This is a resurrection scene, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb, the empty tomb first, and he bent over and he looked in, parakupto, at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. He's looking at this space, but also looking beyond the space for the meaning, see, inside of it. It's also used in 1 Peter 1.12. The ancients, Peter says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to parakupto. These things, they're looking in the mysteries for that which lies at the center of the mysteries. And that is precisely what James is saying. That Jesus Christ is the perfect law of our liberty. And when we gaze upon him, when we fix our attention upon him, when we tuck ourselves into him, when he is lovingly listened to and faithfully obeyed, brothers and sisters, the world is blessed and strengthened and healed, which is exactly how James concludes. He says that those who consider themselves religious but don't keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. But religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I submit to you this morning that we are being polluted by the world when we give way to anger. You want a religion that God your Father looks upon and accepts as pure and faultless? Don't pop off at your wife and your kids. Don't pop off at your husband or your mom. Don't pop off at the party that you hate or the people that you're frustrated with. Instead, take that outrage that you have and offer it up into the presence of the living one who can transform it into a dynamic reaching out to the world around you and to blessing. And that is what we are called to do. And so brothers and sisters, now let's begin to open our hearts and tilt our hearts towards that moment when we remember how the word of God, Jesus the Lord, took on human flesh and in the midst of all of our anger and all of our vitriol, in the midst of all of our fear and all of our frustration that drives so much of our anger, he came among us and he absorbed that in his body on the tree to save us and to redeem us and to deliver us into the kingdom of God where there is no anger and there is no hatred. And so Paul tells us that when we come to the table that we ought to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if we are in the faith. And so with the bread and the cup before you, I want to invite you to make this your prayer of repentance. Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Lord, we look to you this morning. We remember the scripture says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so New Life East and all of those watching this morning, I declare over you that as you have confessed your sins, the Father loves you and the Father is speaking forgiveness over you and the weight of your sin has been removed to you. You are clean in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. And as we come to the table now, we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, after he had given thanks, the Lord Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this all of you and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This, brothers and sisters, is the cup of salvation by which we are cleansed, by which a new heart, a new spirit is given to us, by which we are enabled to do what James taught us, to walk in love and not in anger. Let's take the cup together. Thanks be to God. And now open your hands to receive this benediction. New Life East, as you go from this place into your week, God pray, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you.